1: Welcome into the Thursday Rotowire NFL podcast. I'm your host John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. It is October 1st. I can't believe we are already into October. We're into Week Four of the NFL season. Things are going so fast already. We've already had some craziness around the league. Uh, you know, of course, with all the injuries, and then of course with uh, the Pittsburgh Titans game getting postponed for this week. Uh, but Mario. Before we, before we, we're going to dive into the entire slate here, but man, can you think of a, a better Thursday night matchup that we're getting treated to that, than Broncos, Jets as currently constructed?
2: Yeah, man, uh, <laughs> we needed this. Yeah, brother. Like, it's been a pretty rough year, and uh, even this season, like with the with the Titans news recently, it's like, you know, we're making it, but then we're still taking shots like that and it's like you just need something to give you some hope to get back up after you you take a hit like that and uh, luckily this game is happening
1: and you know we will be better tomorrow I'm pretty sure what what I will say though and I tweeted this out on Sunday when 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 I guess the Sunday Night Football crew announced what the next game was going to be and it was uh, Eagles 49ers and I feel like in a way a Broncos Jets Thursday night game is more palatable than a like disappointment fest that San Francisco versus the the Eagles is going to look like like this is a Thursday yeah. this is a Thursday game I have lower expectations as it as it stands already and then there's just goofiness there there's the Jets there there's you know the dumpster fire element that they that they currently are uh, and, and have been for years uh the broncos working with brett rippon as their quarterback like there's there's some entertainment value here whereas like with and we'll get to the the 49ers eagles game a little bit later on but that game it's like two teams that theoretically should be good i guess that the niners still have a chance at it but the eagles like i don't really want to watch them on my sunday night game
2: no uh yeah i mean it's it's a better game like we already said a good game that we have with the with the jets and broncos and i'm just happy to have that one
1: we're going to have a lot of entertainment value i think there's going to be a lot of pitches it might surfaces. actually
2: be like uh you know we know what happens when one of these teams to be serious when one of these teams plays a good team uh it's like a bad football that happens like the the jets the broncos especially the jets do poorly but maybe when they're more around like their like kind they they become you know better maybe maybe it'll be a good game because two bads make a good or something
1: i think you're right man so i think that we we might sneakily be in for a treat on this thursday night game so again uh jets one point favorites in this matchup going up against the broncos what is there to expect here and is there really anything to draw from from a fantasy angle here
2: uh i guess so maybe just because again when we're talking about totally awful teams that includes bad defenses in most cases and in, in some capacities. And uh, these teams aren't really known for the bad defense. And they, it's just that uh, they're both pretty beat up, especially um, sorry the the Denver defense is really beat up. It's like, yeah, if you, if you have Von Miller and Jarrell Casey, Bradley Chubb, AJ Bouye. Justin Simmons, that's a pretty good defense or so. It sounds pretty good, but uh, not only is Von Miller out, but now Jeremiah Tauchu's out. He might have been a pretty decent replacement, mm-hmm. but he's out now. Jarrell Casey, best lineman, he's out now. So I'm not expecting Denver going on the road to put up one of their better defense defensive efforts of the year. Of course, maybe it won't matter if the Jets keep being as bad on offense as they've been, but uh, I guess they get Jamison Crowder back in, in some capacity. I don't know if he's going to be able to play like a full workload or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's like maybe maybe Crowder and maybe Brecks and Berrios are good enough at receiver relative to the past weeks of what Sam Darnold's been working with, and maybe maybe the Broncos are just so beat up that they, that they just can't really get get a tight defense ready for this one. I don't know. There's there's some there's some leaks that could kind of spring you know when you when you're talking about teams this
1: dysfunctional I think so too and then you know I think that the Broncos defense could also be put in a tough spot not not that Sam Darnold is uh innocent of not turning the ball over but I think that uh the Broncos could be in trouble as far as their turnovers are concerned for Thursday night I think Brett Ripon. Uh, as good of a college quarterback as he was at at Boise State I think there's a reason why uh, you know he wasn't drafted high I don't think he has the requisite arm strength to really move an NFL offense I think that this could be a good spot Um, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here but uh, I I, as someone that has the Titans defense had to find a streaming defense on the waivers and there's so many um, high implied totals around the league this week I think uh, reading Chris Liss's beating the book. Uh, Nine of the 16 games uh, before the the Steelers one was knocked off the board had over unders um, north of 50. This one only 41. So I figured if you had to stream a defense like avoiding those games probably step one and then you know you kind of hold your nose but Going with the Jets defense, going up against the, the Broncos offense that, that is led by Brett Ripon that doesn't have uh, likely Phillip Lindsey, um, doesn't have obviously Cortland Sutton, is just dinged up all across the board, doesn't have a good offensive line. I think that this could be a, just a cave-in scenario for, for the Broncos offense.
2: Yeah, it could be, and as, as much as I was saying, maybe there could be some, you know, defensive slip-ups. Uh, this is more likely to be a low-scoring game than a high-scoring one, like you said. So uh, either defense is probably pretty good, streaming-wise, if you, if you got a tough spot with with your first option. But um, yeah, I, it's you can you can imagine Rippon struggling quite a bit. Uh, but for what it's worth. He did run Ryan Finley out of Boise State, so technically, <laughs> like if if he's if if we're setting the market at uh, what the the Bengals paid for Finley, then Rippin is like a a, a mid
1: fourth round pick or something.
2: They not, neither of them should have gone anywhere near that high. Is the thing?
1: <laughs> uh, I like the way you frame that. That that's that's an important detail there. Um, anything else? To, um, I mean,
2: no, it's a don't. I'm not going to watch this.
1: Okay, fair enough. I I will, but. Um,
2: I'll make a showdown lineup and not watch.
1: There you go. I think that that's a smart way of going about it. Uh, let's move on over to greener pastures. Let's get on to Sunday's slate. Starting things out in Carolina with the Cardinals facing off against the Panthers. Cardinals three and a half point road favorites. Kyler Murray obviously looking to bounce back after a rough outing this past week. The Panthers uh, went out west and got what they needed. Got the win against a, a Chargers team that will always find a way to lose when they when they shouldn't. Um, so that was... It's good to know that like that, that brand still holds even without Philip Rivers. It's just a, it's a chargers thing, not a rivers thing. Um, but how do the Cardinals bounce back here? I know, I know they need to, um, and obviously Deandre Hopkins, I think has, has been a little bit limited this week with an injury.
2: Right. So the Cardinals are pretty beat up. I guess we can maybe see something turn for the better at receiver for them. If Christian Kirk might be back, he's, he's been limited in practice, don't know what's going on with the Hopkins thing, but if if he's there and if Kirk is there, that would be good because uh, their defense might take a step back without Buddha Baker, who I guess is going to be out for like a, a little while, at least with a thumb injury. So I, that's, that's a team where, you know, the, the tempo approach tends to invite the, the counting stats anyway. And if the defense takes a step back in a setting like that, it could bring out some of the higher, uh, higher range results, for most of the Panthers offense, and I guess, you know, based on the last two weeks, Mike Davis could be the first name worth mentioning because it's uh, I, I don't understand why he's getting all these targets, but they're there and he's, he's doing a good job. Yeah, with he's them, not bad. So, right. So it's it's uh, it's like one of those things like uh, the last year, or like even the Bears, but uh, he's doing a pretty good job so far. Like like that wasn't an easy defense last week and he did a good job. So uh, he's he should be pretty good setup here with it with up-tempo game against against the Cardinals and uh DJ Moore Robbie Anderson Curtis Samuel are just kind of uh you know they get a bit of a boost for for the matchup too
1: yeah I wanted on, to on I Cardinals wanted to ask side, it was, it was, I wanted to ask just like your general impressions on you know we're, we're only a few weeks into the season but how does this P- Panthers offense look to you I know losing McCaffrey is is a huge uh factor in this but what does the passing game look like in a in a way that's different and, and meaningful for you with this Panthers team now now that they have the new offense with with Joe Brady?
2: Honestly, not really that much. I guess it's just kind of like uh, they took Curtis Samuel mostly away from the outside and like Robbie Anderson being in the mix. Uh, it's it's kind of curious that he's working so well right away with with the rule prior connection from Temple. Um, it's like, if it seems like they might've almost accommodated or had like a specific role in mind that they knew Anderson w- would perfectly fit. But, um, I just, I just want to see more, uh, DJ Moore get more shots underneath because I, I feel like he, and this is the same thing that they were making a mistake with last year. It's not, it's not new with his coaching staff. Um, but it's like that guy we know doesn't separate downfield as well as Samuel or Anderson, uh, and it's not because he lacks the athleticism like of course he's a he's a speed threat and he he can jump over guys but he's just not as good of a route runner for whatever reason downfield like he's better just you know give him the ball as quick as you can let him make yardage after the catch and when you do throw it to him it's like he, he can still be good but it's like he has to do a jump ball sort of thing more often than than probably Anderson and Samuel so i feel like they're kind of missing an opportunity in the, in that respect but uh, Rab- Robbie Anderson's obviously doing great and so like i guess his results You know, are are a bit of a counter to to my argument, I guess. But I think it's more specifically Samuel in the slot doesn't make any sense because he he Mm -hmm. struggles to hold the ball over traffic. Yeah, Uh, he's better at getting open deep. And uh, if they would change that, I think it would be noticeably better. But other than that, I guess it's just you know Robbie Anderson showed up and took some of Samuel's outside snaps, and now Samuel is just playing like the Jarius Wright snaps.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm happy to to take the L on Robbie Anderson. I'm a big Robbie Anderson fan. I just thought that him meshing with with uh, Teddy Bridgewater didn't really make a ton of sense to me, but it's working out so far. Um, when it comes to DJ Moore, they are sending him really far down the field, and it, it's not really connecting. Like, like you said, his his a dot. Further than Anderson. Yeah, his a dot is is almost thirteen yards, and the catch rate down to fifty three point eight. I think that the, that that bounces back soon enough, and maybe maybe that comes along with the a dot dropping down a little bit. But um, I, I don't see Moore struggling uh, much longer. Uh, than this i mean he had the great game in in week two against the buccaneers of course um tough matchup last week um according to to our metrics arizona's been stingy against opposing receivers but um i don't know if that if that is really something to buy in uh or jump in with both feet on no so so i think that there's room for for dj Moore to to get things rolling again i I don't think that we're going to see him get four targets um in a in a one game sample again i
2: think I think this is a totally good setup for him. Uh, it's like all three of those guys get a boost, but I think Moore is the one who wins over over the longer term over Anderson. So, yeah, I, I think this is – a good spot for him to kind of correct that trajectory then
1: okay and then let's get on to the other side obviously Kyler Murray threw the picks last week um, but I think that that he's not really um, that that hasn't been like a huge part of his game I think that he'll he'll get past that I don't think that he's he's due for another like three pick uh, type of performance Um, but getting on to the the run game Kenyon Drake obviously hasn't returned the the value that a lot of people were expecting especially as investors in the late first early second round Uh, his high watermark thus far being week one with 14 and a half points in in PPR formats uh, hasn't rushed over 86 yards yet in any one game that's still a strong mark to to be clear but a a matchup against Carolina it does feel like even for a guy like me that's a little bit skeptical of of Drake um, as a season-long asset I like him for DFS at least
2: yeah, I agree. That's um, that's one of those things where uh, the mixing of kind of like season long fantasy football with the the DFS and 24 seven news cycle kind of brain goes wrong. Because uh, if you if you hold like reasonable long term expectations for the guy and you, you know don't expect him to be Alvin Kamara, then what happened so far this year isn't a surprise at all and it doesn't change your opinion of him and if your prior opinion of him was high enough that you ranked him where you did then a game like this should just kind of be like a green light for him so I I don't know what I'm going to do with my DFS lineups exactly and I don't have any Drake season-long shares Uh, but if I did I'd be expecting this to be one of my better weeks and, and DFS I'm I'm definitely going to take him more seriously this week than most others.
1: Yeah, I think I think so too. So that this sets up extremely well for Drake even even as someone that that's not overly high on him. Do you think Arizona covers this spread on the road though? Um I mean, th- th- I guess if only because
2: I feel like if they don't cover it then it's because they lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say yes.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. I I think that the Cardinals should should be able to 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 win by more than a field goal there. What would prefer it to be two and a half, but three, I think that the Cardinals should manage. I think that uh they they are more like they were the first two weeks of the season than that goofy game against the Lions a week ago, especially if they if they cut down on the turnovers. Let's get on over to uh the Colts versus the Bears. Indianapolis, two and a half point road favorites in this one going up against uh Chicago, the Nick Foles era in Chicago seems to be underway. Trubisky, think it's over, think it's done. Um, it, we all knew it was going to happen at some point. Uh, didn't know it'd be week three of this year, but couldn't necessarily argue that it wouldn't either. So, uh, Foles. Man, that is so funny. That, they deserve this. It's so great. Um,
2: yeah, it's so such a good thing that they spent that fourth round pick on Foles, so that they didn't make mitch trubisky lose a quarterback competition that he would lose in the season
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: that's uh <laughs> there's a reason the galaxy brain meme came about and it was because the english language didn't have words for for the brain power that the you know cases ryan, like this ryan
1: pace yeah so <laughs> so yeah that that's kind of what what we're dealing with in uh in, in the Windy City. It's good
2: for the Bears' fantasy prospects, though, because mm-hmm. it's more rushing attempts for David Montgomery or whoever, and it's more pass attempts because they're going to get more first downs, and uh, fewer of those first downs, again, are going to be from Trubisky running or whatever with Foles. So uh, it's really good for Alan Ro- or like a stabilizing thing, I think, for Allen Robinson, and it, I think, creates room for one of anthony miller or darnell mooney to become consistent consistently relevant and with tariq cohen especially being out of the offense and some slot snaps opening up i would guess it's Miller. okay
1: yeah i wasn't i wasn't sure what to make of of the cohen fallout from that but like you said with the slot snaps being opened up maybe miller gets a little bit more going that way but darnell mooney uh over or 60 or more percent of the of the snaps in each of the last couple of weeks playing more than Anthony Miller has actually in both of those games yeah. so i mean it's looking he plays like
2: it's outside so it's like miller up to this point had only been getting in when there's a slot snap and cohen was taking a bunch of those already so uh yeah it was I mean, it's stupid that Nagy didn't get Miller on the field anyway. You have to find a way to get your best players on the field, and he's pretty clearly their second-best receiver. But Mooney's pretty good, too, uh, and he's got, like, the speed to kind of make the safeties, uh, you know, keep track of him.
1: Right, yeah. Mooney does have that, that blistering speed, uh, 4.38 in the 40, and then also had the, the really good jumps as well. Not, not a particularly big, imposing figure, um, but again, uh, that, that speed and explosiveness is definitely a, a difference-making factor for him. So I like him a fair bit. Um, what do you make of Jimmy Graham? I think that that, that might be like the biggest Man. fluke of the fantasy season last week, but I, I can't be certain of it because there was the quarterback change involved as well.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It's Graham has been really difficult to figure out. Like, it seems like he's been more or less busted for three years, and yet there were certain, you know, anecdotal excuses and injury things that he was playing through that might explain his struggles here or there or whatever. But um, man, I I did not see three touchdowns in his first three weeks. And I can't tell if that's because I was wrong about him or if it's just because this is a fluke, like you said, and that it's going to pass. I think that's what I'm going with. It's just that it might be one of those things, too, where if, if the Bears get in the red zone, maybe it's pretty much either him and to a lesser extent, Alan Robinson, who, who get the targets. Like, I, I don't know if it's going to turn into a dependency thing in that part of the field. And and maybe maybe they c- it, it it being just so bad for Miller and Mooney or whoever because of Foles being unable to throw the ball effectively in a, in a tight space like maybe it's just that means Foles does a bunch of like ill advised jump balls at Graham and maybe it's inefficient but maybe it's one of those things like if anyone scores it's him mm-hmm. uh, that's basically what it's been so far but um, I don't know it, it I just think he's got to be busted and I, I guess I don't really. Like I'm definitely not picking him up anywhere. It's just one of those things like if if I'm wrong, I guess I'm going to keep paying for it.
1: Yep. I I think that's that's a great way of putting it. Um cuz I I'm not buying in either even in the face of him having two very, you know, very like start-worthy games uh in hindsight through the first 3 weeks of the season both against Detroit and, and against Atlanta. Um according to our to our uh, metrics that indianapolis has been the toughest defense against opposing tight ends um again I, I don't know if that's more just a function of who they've played the first three weeks or, or what have you but um at, at the very least it does look like it'll be a tougher matchup for graham than certainly uh getting those 10 targets against atlanta was
2: yeah and the other thing uh, that, that makes that's interesting to me is Basically, if there's a route for a Bears tight end to run, Graham has run all of them. Uh, the other guys are running some to be to be serious. But it's like Cole Komet is blocking uh, most. Uh, let's see, more than a third of the time. And so that that's to say he's basically not running many routes. Right. If he starts running over 75, something like that, then I think that pretty much negates whatever slim margin Graham is kind of like succeeding with in the meantime.
1: Okay, so so if if Komet starts to develop and start to get d- more deployed in in the passing game, uh, then that that's a bad sign for Graham. But, I mean, they just might need Komet to be that blocking tight end because that Graham has just never been you know good at that.
2: That's true. Just, what Graham needs to worry about is Komet being as good as a, a receiver as him, too. And mm-hmm. I think the only reason it hasn't really shown up is because they're not giving Komet the chance. But uh, mm-hmm. if Komet – in other words, if Komet plays more – naps this week it might be because graham had three targets or something
1: okay all right that makes sense um let's move on over to the indianapolis side of this uh, i mean their their defense absolutely crushed it last week of course and, and the jets were, were a huge reason why um but what do we make of the fantasy options for this for this colts core um going into chicago
2: well i kind of maybe maybe I shouldn't like maybe there's something wrong with the Bears defense but I kind of respect them and it's not easy for me to just look at that a team uh, an offense going against that defense in Chicago uh, more specifically and then think oh this will be this is going to be a walk in the park like it's just kind of like an ugly place to play and I feel like I just have bad memories about that stadium and that team and in my players playing against them there. So, uh, I don't have like an, I don't have like a rational basis behind that, but that's just how I feel. And so, uh, on the other hand, you pull up the, you know, points versus position, uh, defensive uh, points allowed to fantasy positions, uh, at running back, the bears have been one of the more friendly defenses and they're allowing 4.9 yards per carry to running back so far. So, uh, I know it's not much going in the pass catching game though, like basically nothing. So, do I think Jonathan Taylor can run on these guys? Yes. I also don't think Jonathan Taylor is quite on rhythm yet, the way that he's going to be, and it could just happen this week. Uh, it might not, though. Uh, maybe it needs to happen at home against an easier defense. I don't really know. Uh, but but I don't think I don't think Taylor is on quite the same rhythm that he was at Wisconsin, and uh, it's it's a different you know scheme, and I, I think he's kind of like a delicately tuned running back in the sense that like. Uh, when, when he's on at Wisconsin, the way that he was on at Wisconsin, it was just such a, you know, no doubt, you know, Jedi. Uh, like he's got, you know, you knew from the blind, first snap he's, he's in today, but he's still swinging the sword around and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, with, with the Colts, it's like he's having to learn how to do all that stuff again and like learn how to read blocks on different bases than they did at Wisconsin. And so it's, it's kind of like, you know, how Daryl Henderson just didn't really get going last year, and then this year, for some reason, all of a sudden, it just goes on. Like, I think it's going to be kind of like that, and ca- Henderson was picking up a different kind of zone-blocking scheme that the Rams ran that Memphis didn't really, so uh, we'll see. I, th- I think uh, the the final version of Taylor would run over this defense, I think, but uh, I- I'm not exactly... I think it's going to have to have more to do with like volume than explosiveness if he has a good game
1: here. I think the volume should tick back up, though. I, I don't expect oh, him yeah, to I'm get the 26 carries bad. like he did against the Vikings. But 13 carries last week said more about just the game script and them not wanting had a to... a lot of
2: early carries. Mm-hmm. I feel like he got to like nine carries almost like right after the first quarter and or something he had, like he
1: had, that. He had, he's had five or more red zone carries in each of the last two weeks. Like, yeah, everything is setting up really well for him He's
2: thinking really he's he's instead of just running instinctively like he did at Wisconsin. It's like he's thinking about making things, making the right reads in the cold system. And he's like, don't get me wrong. I don't know how this goes away anytime soon, but he's probably thinking about the ball security. So it's like whereas at Wisconsin, he's using, you know, his reactive bandwidth to just kind of like sense cutback lanes and, and, you know, know where to run and how fast and stuff like that. He's instead thinking about like which way am I facing right now? Do I have the ball? Yes. Okay. What now? And mm-hmm. you know, it's like already in that amount of time, you're already too slow relative to
1: like what you were doing at Wisconsin. Yeah, that's that's true. So once it, once the like the, the thinking process becomes a little bit more reflexive, then then you know we'll start to see the the full form of Taylor. Um, maybe going back to the region. Maybe going into the
2: cold Midwest is is what brings him alive.
1: But he That's had, a narrative
2: he, that no one's going to think
1: of. He had some bad games against Illinois, though. Didn't he? Maybe. Um
2: maybe I think he northwestern you. I would guess more likely but oh,
1: you know. yeah, tri- oh, yeah, that's a good point yeah, but,
2: but he's going back to the climate and it's gonna yeah. you know
1: yeah getting going. out of the dome yeah yeah that's important. smells they're gonna take you back to the place where you ran for 2,000 yards three years in a row there we go I like I like where your head's at on this very much um as far as the this Indianapolis passing game is concerned uh we haven't seen Hilton really turn it on Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell both being sidelined really really stings I, I liked the the receiving core that they had coming into the season and losing yeah. two out of those three really really stings because it was such a problem behind T.Y. Hilton the last couple of years. I mean, Zach Paschal, like I respect like where he's come from and, and being like an old Dominion guy that that's made it in the NFL, like that that's great and everything. But I don't think that that's a starting receiver on a winning team necessarily. um So right. I just, it's got to be it's got to be
2: like Mo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That, um, I, I guess, was
1: I, I was hoping that, that you would say that. I was kind of angling t- towards it because I've picked up Mo'Ally Cox in a bunch of spots.
2: Yeah, I mean, to be serious, I, I feel like Rivers should be able to get some kind of like uh, high-low sort of game going with, with Hilton on the sidelines. Like where uh, the he gets the corner, the, the boundary corner, either Fuller or uh, Jalen Johnson to kind of turn their hips. And then it's like you turn it back into a hook or an out route or something like that, and maybe get a little bit of a outside game going that way. And if they bite hard enough and, and Hilton gets open enough on a double move or something, they, that's how they can maybe make something go over the top. But uh, they have to like get those corners off their tracks. Cause they, they set them in these like cover three tracks and they're, they're really good when they're playing within that format. Um, but Mo, even if Hilton's getting shut down and even if Pascal's not re- able to get anything going, um, Mo's just one of those guys where it's like, He's so big, and he we know he can jump pretty high, and uh, he's you know got the basketball background. That's in in addition to all those other things, it becomes interesting. It's like if he was just a basketball player, you get uh, Rico gathers or whatever it is. But uh, if you if you got uh, actual talent to work with, that's also incidentally got a basketball skill set, that's pretty interesting because it means he doesn't necessarily really need to get open to present a viable target. But we also have reason to believe he can get open. And we also have reason to believe that he can do a lot after the catch. So that just sounds like a lot of easy – a lot of reasons that would make it easy for you to have a reason to give him the ball. You know who else uh, played
1: basketball? Antonio Gates. Antonio
2: freaking Gates.
1: That's right, brother. And you know who else also played basketball? Jimmy Graham.
2: Oh, is this I was going to say Randy. This is, but, the, is this the Rotowire Basketball podcast? Julius Peppers.
1: Yeah. Uh, George Fant many other people oh,
2: and he's awesome yeah. <laughs> right
1: okay that, that that's that's the signal that, that we've exhausted uh, this <laughs> this Colts Bears game let's get on to Jags Bengals uh Bengals three-point favorites in this one they're at home Jaguars coming off that that kind of surprising but sometimes your number gets called and, and FitzPatrick has his game against you um so that's kind of what happened to the Jaguars last week and they, they didn't play very well to to be clear but um going up against the Bengals who are coming off one of the more epic ties I can remember in in recent recent memory just <laughs> a game that, 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 that it game reeked of tie just, from the start and it just the peak of humanity was that last punt it's <laughs>
2: like guys it, it was worth it it was it always was worth it <laughs> yeah um uh, but Um, I, I don't know why. And I, or at least like, I don't know what the, whether I agree with it, but the, it looks like the more money is coming in on the, on the, uh, sorry, I'm reading this wrong. The over under is up four and a half points, which seems like a lot to me. And I don't know what the, what changed to make it that much. And the spread did not change during that. So, uh, if, th- if that money is right then I guess we should have a shootout here and if the Bengals are the favorite that would make sense because their inclination is to be pretty up tempo and if if they get a lead you're just kind of carried into going up tempo with them I don't think Jay Gruden is normally a tempo guy I think he's normally more like his brother actually but if as long as Cincinnati is kind of dictating the pace then Jacksonville kind of has to go with it and then if they do it's like we get, we know they got a bunch of receivers and, and James Robinson who are pretty interesting so you could imagine a lot of guys getting involved in this one and I guess, you know, Chark being out last week might have had a significant amount to do with the struggles of Gardner Minshew. Yeah, replacing him with Chris
1: Conley is terrible.
2: Yeah, Chark is their best player. And it's like when you go from your best player to one who's maybe suited to be like a situational backup, it's like, yeah, the offense is going to suffer. So I think getting Chark back, if he's, you know, knock on wood, if that's all going fine, if he's back, then – It's just a totally different game. Everything about where you line up the defensive backs for the Bengals changes in light of that. So I think that um, Minshew should be fine, especially for fantasy, if only because of there just might be a decent number of plays logged in this game. He should be fine. But also, I think he's more likely to play kind of in the the realm of the first two weeks than, than last week at least in a game like this
1: yeah this sets up really 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 well for for Minshew I think that he'll bounce back nicely um I really like James Robinson for this week though it's it's gonna be hard to stay away from him I mean the the Bengals run defense I think is pretty toothless I think that James Robinson is you know a fringe top five type of running back this week yeah I was trying to pull up the Bengals injury report is Geno still out I think he's still on the injury report. I'm not sure if he's if he's going to be back or not this week. But he, yeah, he's questionable he's a with the shoulder. The
2: quarterbacks participant on Wednesday, so that would be kind of interesting. Like Gino will make them a fundamentally different defense if he's out there and if he's himself. But uh, yeah, in, in either case, James Robinson looks great just because of same reason as Minshew. Basically, it's like they're gonna they're gonna have to run a lot of plays, and he's. So far looking pretty good and he qualifies for usage on a high percentage of those plays.
1: Yes, he does. And and uh again, what 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 is there to look out for if if chark is either limited or out this week as far as the, that passing game goes?
2: Well, last week I guess the answer was just they ch- chuck it at Chris Conley and he kinda blows it. Yep. But <laughs> maybe I mean I thought all along what they were gonna do was not put Conley out there. I thought they were gonna put chark uh mostly outside but sometimes in the slot chanel mostly in the slot but sometimes outside and then dd westbrook out sl- outside uh i thought keelan cole would be the fourth receiver and i, I like cole i think the way they're using him is smart he's but played well if Last week, if Chark is out, it's a no-brainer to me that you give D.D. Westbrook those snaps instead of Conley, and I don't even think Westbrook's that good. I just think he was miscast as a slot receiver underneath player, and he's he's at his best outside running downfield like he did at Oklahoma, which is specifically what they needed someone to do last week, and they had Conley do it instead, and I don't understand. Because Con-
1: um, Conley looks more aesthetically pleasing when he does and it, And they're I paying
2: think. him more, I yeah. guess. But it, it's like, man, if you, if you had Westbrook out there he might just kind of get so open on one of those plays that it you know it's it's just kind of like an easy throw or something like that uh and he's definitely more of a threat underneath than conley so i think they could really make things easier on themselves by just benching conley for westbrook but i don't have any I, i have no like evidence that they're going to do
1: that yeah i don't think you're wrong like like westbrook i know that he's he's not the pro he doesn't have the build and and you know athletic measurables that conley does but i think he's a better football player
2: Oh, absolutely. Bar and none. He was super productive at Oklahoma. Ridiculous. And then the Jaguars changed his position and he was bad at it.
1: Yeah. So uh, moving back outside if, if Chark is out and, and then uh, step three, profit. Um, on the Bengals side of this, make sense of the of the receiving core for me. Um, a lot of people are ready to be completely done with A.J. Green. I can't completely disagree with them at this point. And part of that is because it looks like T. Higgins is happening.
2: Well, T. Higgins is happening, but also T. Higgins gets played differently than A.J. Green does, and A.J. Green's still getting the targets. I know it's largely juiced by the first two weeks. Last week he only had six targets and obviously quite a bit less air yardage per target because he only had 36 yards on five catches. So he caught most of his targets. There's there's no yardage going on there. So that could be because he wasn't able to get open against Slay, or it could be that the – The pass blocking was so bad that Burrow just couldn't really wait for for Green's downfield targets to materialize. So uh, T. Higgins wasn't running against Slay. He was running against, I assume, Avante Maddox initially, and then he got hurt. And so it must have been like Cravon LeBlanc or Trevor Williams that he was running against. And those guys, especially Maddox, but even the other two, it's like they're they're just kind of like munchkins compared to T. Higgins. And T. Higgins was super productive at Clemson uh, at a really young age. So that's just a kind of thing that indicates usually – that he's got skill set to work with and it's he's got a huge athlet uh, just like build mismatch and then a skill advantage too so uh it, with particularly if there was a little bit of a funnel going away from green that could explain why higgins did well but even if that's the explanation you could imagine the jaguars mostly putting cj henderson on uh, aj green and presenting a similar dynamic <clears throat> excuse me just cuz Trey Harrington's going to be the easier target, just like last week, Cravon LeBlanc and Avante Maddox were the easier target. So it could be another good setup for T Higgins. Uh, but I'm not really inclined to say that I'm, you know, uh, that I'm optimistic about Higgins because I'm pessimistic about green and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more inclined to say like they both should be looking pretty good here.
1: Okay. And we, for the record, it looks like we have all three Boyd green and um, Higgins ranked inside our top 40 at receivers. Uh, like Boyd, Boyd too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Gotta love Boyd. I mean, Boyd, uh, ranked at number 11 for us AJ Green a fringe wide receiver two at 24 and then Higgins more of a wide receiver three or a flex play depending on your league uh, checking in at wide receiver 39 for this week so definitely with it uh, definitely playable uh, for this week so a lot to like about this Bengals offense potentially in in a game that like you like you astutely noted uh, the total keeps going up for so I think there's going to be plenty of points in that matchup Um, let's get on over to another game that that's going to be minimal on the defense and heavy on the offense we got the browns going down to big d to face off against the cowboys cowboys four and a half point favorites in this one cowboys cannot play defense to save their lives their offense is great especially the passing game um but the and then i guess what it comes down to for me that i'm trying to figure out is the browns run game is so good but is that going to be enough to to carry them to a win necessarily I I don't think if they get into a a shootout type of situation that Baker is really cut out for it
2: right he is not Uh, they've basically folded up the whole passing game already and they're saying like we're not even going to try with this one so that's pretty discouraging really I, I don't think it reflects very well on Kevin Stefanski that this is the case I think he looks pretty bad actually but uh, it's hard to screw up this running game that they have. So they'll have that to whatever extent they can afford to divert usage toward it. And against Dallas, that's, you know, obviously the, the, the limitation, the real problem. Because, well, I guess D- Dallas's run defense has been pretty good so far, to be fair. So we'll see. It might not be actually like an easy matchup for Chubb or Hunt. Um, but I, I feel like they should be fine. I, I feel like uh, Chubb and Hunt... the the quality of runners that they are kind of still overrules the Cowboys one. It's like maybe, maybe Dallas is good. It's just not good enough against runners like these probably. But uh, the other side is it's like, I'm a little worried about, I mean, actually I'm a lot worried about that stupid Dallas offensive line, which uh, it's like if Tyron Smith can't play and miles Garrett on one side. uh, Sorry. I can't remember. I guess it's Claiborne on the other side. Um, And then they got Sheldon Richardson and Ogon Joe here. So that pass rush could be a problem for Dak. And if Dak can't throw the ball, then, you know, that, that could uh, take Dallas out of, out of like the shootout scenario. And and I don't know if the Browns, especially being uh, underdogs like this, they might kind of try to sit on the ball and go low tempo, chop away some of the play count in this game. So I'm, I'm a little anxious about it. Like I'm definitely going to target it and I'm, I'm like invested in it, no matter what I think, just because I got so many Chubb shares, but I think it's, I think, you know chubb and hunt should be fine it's just uh, the question is in the browns case it's like will they have the reason to go at beckham landry hooper and will they do it successfully if they do have the reason and i'm kind of iffy on both of those
1: okay that, that definitely makes sense um and then when it comes to cream hunt uh he's not practicing thursday with it with a groin so oh. that that's going to be something to to monitor okay
2: yeah if he's out then chubb rb1 whatever i don't care
1: <laughs> let's go um Let's get on to the to the Cowboys side a little bit more like specifically in in terms of trying to measure out the the pecking order of of those pass catchers, because, I mean, it was already really deep and hard to figure out between Lamb, uh, Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. And then you see, you know, Cedric Wilson come off the bench and dominate last week. And it's like, like, how do you make sense of all of this? And what do you do about it? Like for, for DFS purposes?
2: I think that was just because Dallas was playing a lot of four wide receiver and Cedric Wilson might be pretty good, but I still think he's clearly their wide receiver four and uh, won't play basically most weeks because you look at the the snap count from last week. It's 70 for Gallup, 65 for Cooper, 49 for Lamb, which is a little bit of a decrease than the prior weeks. Uh, but then you got Noah Brown and Cedric Wilson combining for 53, whereas the prior two weeks, Respectively, Brown and Wilson combined for twelve and six snaps. So that's what changed. And I, especially if Dalton Schultz is playing, they can't run that many four-wide snaps. So I would guess that we see uh, Wilson fade out of the picture. And it's it's pretty simply if one of Gallup or Cooper or Lamb misses a game, then Wilson is totally back into the you know mainstream consideration. But I don't think there's anything to chase there. And He he's good or whatever but uh it was just kind of fluky the game that he had i think
1: yeah that that game was just wild in, in every way uh last, last sunday what a what a fun game that lived up to the hype of, of that you know like premier uh, afternoon matchup out there in seattle um anything else to add on this game before we move on
2: uh no the dallas dallas receivers all look pretty good but i, I can't really get a beat for what exactly they're trying to do in that offense i don't know what kind of identity it really has yet, and um, I don't know. I guess I guess I kind of just defer to Cooper in DFS for now, just because he he seems like the best one.
1: And yeah, and the and carries a bit of a of a bargain too. I would imagine because because just how many other receivers are involved in that Cowboys offense. Um, let's move on over to the Saints going up to Detroit to face off against the Lions. Saints played that Ooh, fun Sunday crap. night game. Uh, <laughs> go on.
2: Oh, I just hate it. It's it's kind of funny what uh, Matt Patricia what he's doing with those running backs. You know, DeAndre Swift, Carrion Johnson, and Adrian Peterson. He's very specifically like answering the question of what would happen, what would have happened if in Alvin Kamara's rookie year, Matt Patricia was the coach of the New Orleans Saints. (laughs) And the answer to the question is uh, Alvin Kamara never plays. Adrian Peterson leads the team in carries and Mark Ingram is like a healthy scratch or something like that's
1: Oh, he, they all three were on the team, right? Yeah, they had they had Mark Ingram,
2: Alvin Kamara and Adrian Peterson on the team. <laughs> and Sean Payton got to the to the games and he was like, huh, Alvin Kamara is better than Adrian Peterson. I guess I'll just play Alvin Kamara then. And Matt Patricia is like shakes his head in the background is like, no. You don't do that. You got to respect the veteran. That guy didn't earn it. OK, the veteran did. He proved it on the field. And uh, so we will be making Alvin Kamara a healthy scratch. Thank you. Um, so that's yeah. Anyway, that's that's just show. That's just like such a useful like case study in like collision here that just that helps really clarify the perspective of these people. Um, it's like Matt Patricia has no clue. Sean Payton is uh, the, you know, good parallel universe version of Matt Patricia because he cut Adrian Peterson and let Alvin Kamara turn into a star immediately. I like this. Uh, Yeah, so uh, DeAndre Swift will be good whenever uh, he has a coach that isn't actively trying to sabotage him. Uh, But in the meantime, they're going to have to lose some more games.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Lunch is canceled due to lack of hustle. Um, So when it comes to this Lions offense, then – goofy run game notwithstanding how do they stack up in the passing game now that now that Kenny Galladay is back going up against the Saints
2: well Lattimore has been struggling a little bit but I guess part of his issue too is he only tries if he's going against Mike Evans and Julio Jones Hmm. then he then he's like I'm done I'm not working anymore um yeah so maybe Kenny Galladay is good enough to to get his attention and get make him what he can be which is you know a really good corner uh who's, who's to say I don't really know Marvin Jones just doesn't really seem to have it going yet. I, I don't know if that's going to change. I don't know if he's maybe losing something now that he's over 30 years old. I guess it's possible. Um, I'd like to see the Lions. Uh, don't get me wrong. I have no hope about Swift. I hope that they use it more, but I, I don't actually have any hope. Whereas yeah. with Hawkinson, I'm like, what are you idiots doing with you know, with, with Jesse James and these other tight ends? It's like just it, it, Patricia has this just goofy idea that like, it's too it, – like it's a simple man's sort of assumption that you should just play your best players. Like, ah, no, I'm a smarter football coach. I know it's not that simple. You got to put your best players in in the background sometimes uh, so they – I don't know. I don't know what he think's uh, what, like you got to do something stupid because the defense wouldn't expect you to do something stupid and aha, <laughs> uh-huh, now you've you've tricked them and now your bad player is running free for a pass that he'll drop. Like I don't know I don't know what the theory is, but Hawkinson they need to have a big game here to win, I think, and I I don't I don't know, I just I think the Saints are going to be I guess uh, through Kamara mostly, but I feel like Latavius Murray should be able to get going in this one too. And, uh, Traquan and Sanders should be enough. I think for the saints, I, I, I don't really think anybody, but, uh, like, I'm not going to play Peterson either. I, I, I think he's been bad. I know he's had good numbers, but like you saw that play, that 25 yard run that he had two weeks ago where it took him like 10 seconds to do it. <laughs> like It was unreal. Like clearly it would have been a touchdown if it was Carrion on Johnson or Deandre Swift, but he, like he gets that 25 yard run because the, 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 Packers like fell asleep And like Matt Patricia is using it as further evidence to keep his better players on the bench. So it's, it's a, I don't know how you win when you're doing things like that to your team.
1: Nope. Definitely not a, not a great setup and what Patricia is doing thus far. And we're in year three there in Detroit. Um, When it comes to the saints, again, uh, one, one guy we need to, to mention here is uh, Michael Thomas still working his way back from from the high ankle, but he did turn in a limited practice um, on Wednesday I don't know. It depends on what my other options are. But if I have Thomas and he's active, it's going to be hard to leave him on the bench. But if I have good enough options the rest of the way, I might do like a wait and see approach and and, and, uh, bench him this week. I don't know. What do you think?
2: That would be fair. But I guess if he's actually doing things in practice, I can imagine them just taping up that ankle a lot and him going out there and uh I don't know how good he would be but I I think he could get those really short catches still like it, he probably just wouldn't be able to do like the double triple move type routes
1: they they just like they I'm looking at their team trends page right now Alvin Kamara has a 30% target share.
2: <laughs> yeah, last week was so stupid. That it, was insane. I yes, he was. That,
1: <laughs> that was such a fun game. But it, yeah, it underlined he, he by the fact like he he's was ridiculous. Um, on that
2: long touchdown catch, it was like he was looking around like, did someone blow a whistle? I don't understand. These guys keep like tr- fake tackling me. Like, <laughs> It's like he looked around thinking the play must have stopped because the defense was just so cartoonishly missing him.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I, met, I messaged it to you like during that game. It was like it looked like he was – it was like a transition between levels in a video game where like he defeated like the first wave of enemies and then was like running free and then like the next wave came on like 30 yards down the field there was just like nothing around him for yeah, such a huge like, chunk are of the they field
2: spawning and they weren't the defense was just that bad they're they're still laying on the ground rolling around like babies <laughs>
1: so that was nice and goofy um this should this game should be nice and goofy but i do expect that the saints to take care of Got business
2: it. i don't often feel this way but i hope the lions lose lose every single game the
1: rest of the way <laughs> it's what they deserve All until right. they fire patricia anyway. there, there we go and his silly pencil um let's get on over to the texans going up against the Vikings. Texans, obviously, uh, like we've talked about, the schedule gods did them no favors, and they responded in kind with an 0-3 start, of course. They have a really good chance here, I think, to, to get off the schneid, um, and I think they will. And then on the other side, I think Justin Jefferson is happening as well, and it excites me greatly.
2: Yeah, what like what the hell was that, too? That's, that's like Kubiak did the halfway version with Justin Jefferson, what Patricia is doing with DeAndre Swift, where he's like, yeah, the rookie hasn't proven it yet. Ola B.C. Well, Johnson. What if you give him, say, seven targets in a game? Maybe. What do you think would happen? I don't know. It's he hasn't he hasn't proven it in practice. It's like okay, well, if he goes for 170 yards, you just how about we you just admit you were wrong and we're probably being stupid one way or another, and probably should have just had him on the field the whole time to begin with. It's like, do you really think he went from bad to as good as he was last week in a span of four days?
1: Right. Exactly. Shut up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, like Justin Jefferson is really good, and they. They should have been throwing the ball the whole time. I think a game like last week compels even the dumbest of coaches to, to just go along with it at that point. Uh, I think even Patricia would probably go along with it at that point. So uh, I, think, I think Jefferson will keep being good. It's just one of those things like we have to keep in mind how insanely explosive his numbers were last week. And as, as much as we can expect him to be some sort of good or very good it's it's also impossible to to keep up numbers like he had last week. It's, and it's it's really annoying when he's on your bench and he does something like that. But it it's uh, that might have been like, you know, his best game of the year.
1: Right. It it probably was. I mean, it's really, really tough to to top 175 and and a touchdown. And yeah, I I love I loved the uh, the prance into the end zone and the celebration. That was that was awesome. Um, They've been playing him looking at like his his alignment charts. They've played him 40 snaps outside, 76 in the slot. Um, That means he he
2: played a lot more outside than he did uh, last week than he did in the first two, because going into that game, he was pretty much just in the slot.
1: Okay. All right. So that, so it looks like maybe he becomes that primary outside receiver. Not only
2: that, but in this game, Bradley Roby, if he's going to shadow someone, it would probably be Thielen. Right. So if, if Roby is always off of Jefferson, then that means he's always on some corner who's not
1: particularly good. So like a Vernon Hargraves or something?
2: Hargraves. I don't know if Conley's back yet, but it's like Lonnie Johnson from Kentucky. He's, he's way too like tall and, you know, lanky to, to cut with a, you know slot receiver quick type like, like justin jefferson is so i think he can beat uh yeah pretty much all those guys they have that penn state corner who's a rookie that isn't very good uh those guys are all
1: major underdogs to jefferson in my opinion okay nice all right so jefferson arrow trending up um on the texan side of things the offense you know but it, it play it Did okay relative to the to the matchup being on the road against Pittsburgh and everything like that I think this sets up for for the Texans offense to finally look like the Texans offense I I think this this week what do you think
2: yeah I still don't know what to expect of David Johnson it's like I can imagine certain settings where he is running effectively where it kind of looks more like week one he has some space to work with but I don't know if it's against the Vikings where that happens I feel like you kind of need to break a tackle and turn a corner and, and like maybe the Vikings leave that out there like maybe they give you the chance to do it but they they still make you beat somebody to get there and I don't know if David Johnson can beat anybody right now I think it's like he needs room and he can play well if he has it but otherwise he kind of just collapses into contact you know so I don't I don't really have my hopes high for him and then it's even when he's not running the ball even when he's in coverage if Kendricks is uh, following That's usually a no-go. So I'm not really optimistic for David Johnson. I I feel like it's one of those settings if he has a good game, it's because he kind of had some short yardage touchdowns or something like that, Uh, some kind of goofy anecdote explaining it. But the receivers, I mean – I I have nightmares still about that Panthers game last year with the Texans Mm. when uh, their second corner was Ross Cockrell. And I I don't even remember who the third corner was. But it was like, the Texans should torch these guys. And instead, Deshaun Watson had one of his very worst games of the year, probably one of the worst games of his career. And he was saying after the game, it was like, yeah, they just kept running cover four and all of our routes were covered by it. And Mike Zimmer is not – in my opinion, a great defensive coach, but he's definitely a smart enough one to figure out like, oh, yeah, cover four will take care of these. And if, if Bill O'Brien is that predictable in this game, I think Zimmer will have the routes pretty well decoded. But if those corners have to actually cover those receivers and if Bill O'Brien's routes don't just play right into the zone coverages, then those corners can't cover those receivers at all.
1: Okay. All right. So a bit of scheme versus personnel here. Uh, we'll, we'll see what wins out. Still like Fuller for this week, but yeah, yeah guy, totally. guys like Cooks and Cobb, I, I, even with the the Vikings defense not being what it was, I still feel... It, Isn't Cobb doing yeah. pretty good? I, I think like so.
2: But uh, yeah, Cooks is, is goofy, obviously, but I don't know. I, I feel like this well actually is Deniel hunter back he was on the three game ir i don't know if Deniel hunter's back uh, it doesn't change anything i still like deshaun watson i still like the the houston receivers it's just that if daniel hunter were out it would be like total green light and i'm sorry i'm pulling up his, his page right now um yeah he's out still so if bill o'brien screws this up for the houston passing game, then uh, you just got to you know, chase them with pitchforks.
1: Yeah, that that's just that bodes extremely poor for, for the rest of the season when it comes to Texans. So definite get-right spot at home for them. Hopefully they, they're able to answer the bell. Uh, before we get on to our next game, we've got a message from our friends over at Prediction Strike. Prediction Strike is a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard someone say, I've had stock in this player since day one? Well, now, Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had a stock in Patrick Mahomes' rookie year? You knew this would happen? Now it's a reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. To get started, simply visit predictionstrike.com to create an account, then deposit Uh, funds to buy sell and hold shares of your favorite players just like you would real stocks each game is like an earnings report if the player beats his projections his stock moves up it's that easy you can trade your shares of players anytime as long as the player isn't currently in a game get started today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with code rotowire to get an additional ten dollars off with your first deposit of twenty dollars or more again that's promo code rotowire on that one all right let's keep things rolling here we got the Seahawks their offense unbelievable going down to Miami long flight for them uh, to face off against the Dolphins I like this spot for the Seahawks but is this a potential trap game a, a little bit of a letdown they're, they're almost touchdown favorites on the road uh, they're coming off the the huge wins in each of the last two weeks really beating the, the Patriots and then uh, beating the Cowboys going down to Miami to face the Dolphins any concern here not really. Okay. I can't really think of anything. I mean, I did my best are, to, to like try to say that this was going to be anything other it's than It's like the one of those
2: things you can maybe imagine the defense giving up a little bit, or maybe they have a few three and outs or something. But eventually, even in those cases, they just turn to Russell Wilson and the receivers, and that's then it's just over again.
1: Yep. I mean, the the way that Russell Wilson is playing right now is. Unbelievable! I think that he's he's the early season MVP thus far. I don't think that that, that that's slowing down. Tyre Lockett has been incredible. Uh, he kind of ended up being that that value guy behind DK Metcalf in drafts. Uh, I understand the the upside, and I still believe the upside when it comes to Metcalf overall. But Lockett seems to be the the one right now that that has a slight edge. But both of them are, are obviously great um, for for your fantasy teams. Metcalf. Uh, with a 22.4% target share thus far, Tyler Lockett checking in at almost 30%. So it, funny how 30% of your target's going to a receiver like Tyler Lockett and how that looks on, on paper versus 30% of your throws going to a running back like Alvin Kamara. So th- things are going very, very differently in those passing games between Seattle and New Orleans. But again, going down to Miami, um, what the what else do we I'm need to say? I'm trying to
2: figure out is like, what I think of the Seahawks defense, because I know people are saying like, Oh, it's just trash. They suck. I think they're bad at a couple spots, but I don't think they're actually bad. I think they just, uh, played the Falcons and then the Cowboys. And, uh, I don't remember the other one, but, uh, if Dunbar's out, though, then they do have a problem at corner because Trey Flowers isn't very good. But if Quentin Dunbar is back, I don't trust Fitzpatrick to throw the ball very well. They, go, they would have to get it done to Gasicki. Gasicki has a good matchup either way, I would yes. say. And I think that's the case even if Jamal Adams plays, which he might not. So Gasicki, I think it will be good. But as far as like the big Ryan Fitzpatrick game, you generally need Parker or and Preston Williams to get going a little bit. And... Those two going against Griffin and Dunbar, is, is, those are like the worst
1: matchups for those types of receivers. Those corners are built for the receivers like those. Oh, OK. All right. So that, that could be a problem. And then, you know, if, it's, if Fitzpatrick is not playing well and, and not having his Fitzpatrick game, we, 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 we know, that, we know the meltdown situation can come with him. So ma- okay. maybe like Seahawks become like a contrarian like streaming defense for this week, even though it's, it's all the way cross country.
2: Yeah, I mean, even even when Fitzpatrick has his good games, he tends to turn the ball over. So uh, I, I, I won't say it's uh, like it's it's definitely risky, but in a contrarian pursuit, it, it's kind of hard to argue against. I would say.
1: Okay, and then uh, last thing to mention on the uh, I guess you did mention. Tra- did you say? Were you saying Travis Homer Homecoming?
2: Yeah, and DJ Dallas, I guess I should be that, fair. They're, that is They're true. both doing
1: homecoming thing. Which is pretty cool. And then uh, Miles Gaskin on the other side playing against the team where he played yes. college very close to.
2: <laughs> yes. So that you, one too.
1: We're drawing yeah, it
2: guess, up. Uh, I don't know what's going on there, but uh, like last week I was saying uh, I wouldn't really chase him and that more so was applying to like the the showdown thing but at this point after that game it's like well yeah I guess he's clearly their lead running back don't know what that's worth I still don't think it makes that much sense I think Brita is still clearly better and probably Howard too but if Flores is giving him 20 carries I guess
1: that just kind of settles it exactly and he's getting he's getting the targets too um so it seems like Jordan Howard has fallen way behind oh, yeah. And, yeah
2: drop them don't play them and breed I have no hope either but it's like this is totally to me similar to playing Kalin Balage over Kenyan Drake it's just that this time the Kalin Balage uh, the, the, the person playing the part of Kalen Bellage is not terrible.
1: Yeah, he actually has a pulse in, in Miles Gaskin. And Howard
2: and Reed are not Drake.
1: <laughs> You're right, exactly. So, um that this should continue on if you if you grabbed Gaskin off the waiver wire that that should continue to to be good. Uh, I like the usage for him at the very least even if the efficiency isn't all that great. Uh, let's stay in the state of Florida. We got the Buccaneers playing host to the Chargers, Bucks 7 point favorites in this one one of the more lower scoring games on the on the slate here checking in at just 43 on the over under uh no chris godwin i know that the other kind of secondary receivers for the bucks are dinged up um so does it does this create like the mike evans monster game or does this uh end up being something where the the run game gets rolling or the tight ends get rolling like we saw gronkowski last week
2: I think it sets up really well for Mike Evans. I don't know how well it sets up for Brady. Like I, I could imagine Evans having like 120 yards and a touchdown or two and Brady having 220 yards and mm-hmm. a touchdown or two and in an interception or two because that that Chargers defense is definitely good it's strong in some capacities it can be beaten in certain ones but I don't think anybody but Evans really qualifies for the, for the type of player who can threaten them and I don't think Brady's the type of quarterback to really suit Evans uh, ideally uh, in in that whole matchup so I think it's gonna be one of those things like Brady isn't especially efficient but Evans has definitely volume and maybe efficiency too just because while Hayward is really good and uh, I guess Michael Davis has done a pretty good job at the other corner spot. And he's definitely built more like for Evans. But if they put Casey Hayward on Mike Evans, uh, Evans every single time has the advantage there. Even if Hayward is a good corner, he's only good versus most types of receivers. And Evans is the exception because at 6'5", 230, he's uh, what, like seven inches taller, 50 pounds heavier. And he's still faster than Casey Hayward because <laughs> Casey Hayward isn't very fast. So, uh, yeah, it's he can just kind of – you know put one hand on Casey Hayward's helmet and just reach up with the other one and and just kind of carry him like a backpack to the end zone.
1: Yep. And I I think that that could definitely happen here. I I like the the setup a lot for for Mike Evans. I don't know if I like like it for any of these other kind of speculative Tampa Bay re- receivers. No. Um do you, you know whether it's it's Miller or Watson anything there?
2: No, uh I mean they're interesting. I especially think uh Miller is a good player, but I don't think uh he he's also nicked up. I I don't know what the latest is with Scott Miller, but right. I I feel like this is a tough setting for Brady basically because that Chargers pass rush can be a problem. And the reason I'm I'm feeling okay about Evans is because when he's when you're that big and when you're going against corners who who don't have any reach uh to to kind of like get their hands up in the air, you don't need a good throw. To, to to make a catch. Like I think Miller can get open, but I don't trust Brady to have the setup time and the accuracy to put it where Miller needs it, but at Miller being 5'10, 165 or whatever, uh, he actually needs the ball to be in a place where he can catch it whereas Evans just can cr- dictate the space himself. Right. Uh, so yeah, I'm not really optimistic about the the offense as a whole and I can imagine Brady having a pretty ugly game, taking some hits, uh, making some ugly throws, but I, I just think Evans is the kind of player who can make catch. I guess Howard to Uh, can make catches even on throws that are kind of ugly in an offense that's kind of ugly
1: okay let's get on over to the Chargers side of this Um, last week was the total green light situation for both Eckler and Kelly and just the the Chargers run game as a whole going up against the Panthers at home totally different scenario this week Uh, the Buccaneers Only the Steelers are allowing uh, less or fewer rushing yards per carry than the Buccaneers right now. They're holding opponents to 2.9 yards per carry. Uh, That's really, really impressive thus far. They've got 12 stuffs. Uh, They've only allowed three touchdowns on on the ground thus far, and they've played some good running backs. Um, So I think this, I mean, you're not benching Eckler, but I don't think that Kelly is flex viable this week the way he was last week.
2: Yeah, I agree. I don't see any room for him at all. Eckler is kind of running into a tough spot like you said but he's he's such a great player that I, I you definitely defer to him in season long just because of the usage that he projects for but it's like even as a tournament play in DFS I don't have any reason against it because it's like sometimes great players beat great players like it, going against the defense is be, as good as the Buccaneers is concerning but a great they will lose to a great player eventually and it's like Eckler is, is so good and he could have a bit of usage going his way. I know Keenan Allen had the huge game last week. Uh he'll have a tough matchup against Sean Murphy Bunting. And I I, it'll be an interesting you know case study between those two because Murphy Bunting could very soon be regarded as like one of the best corners in the league. So if Allen has a slightly off game it wouldn't exactly be surprising necessarily. If that happens, uh, does it go to Mike Williams a little bit maybe then? Well he's he's all goofy right now too. He picked up a hamstring deal uh, after already playing through his shoulder. So uh, I actually don't like his matchup, though, because Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis are, are corners who who are specifically to counter uh, receivers like Williams. So, yeah, it's like if Allen can't get going, you can almost imagine, in my opinion, like a bit of a funnel toward uh, Eckler, or I guess Hunter Henry, but I, I'm mostly am pessimistic for the Chargers' offense. To be clear, like this could be a really difficult spot for Herbert.
1: Yeah, I mean the 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 Vegas implied total for for the Chargers is 18 points. So so definitely they might not be enough without
2: Belaga. Like, uh, this, their offensive line is beat up. I, yeah, it's that that could go very badly for yeah, the Chargers.
1: Yeah, t- tough tough spot for the Chargers in this one. All right, let's move on over. We got the Ravens going up against the football team. They're going down I ninety five down the corridor to uh, to go on go to FedEx Field. Uh, the Ravens obviously coming off a pretty sobering loss uh, last week against the Chiefs. Uh, the football team, uh, you know, they, they were the football team against the Browns. Uh, this, this is a thirteen point spread between the Ravens or for the Ravens here. They are favored by thirteen. What do you make of this one?
2: Well, I'm a little concerned about the Ravens' offense just because they seemed kind of just bad against the Chiefs. They sure did. Uh, e- even to the extent that they struggled, it's like I, I don't really have a good explanation for it. Like, I don't know why Marquise Brown is running that route over the middle of the that w- field. That was terrible. Like, that's – the the Andrews dropping a pass, that's – you know, whatever people, players drop passes, it happens eventually. Uh, but just the the it's like where's Miles Boykin in all these plays? I don't understand uh, what like like I don't understand why there isn't more credible threats in more parts of the field. And I, I guess as much as I still like Marquise Brown a lot, I guess if they're running the offense like this, I'm not convinced that he's enough because there's they're not specifically scheming him enough. Uh, they have to get more from the reps that are going toward Boykin, if if they're going to make it all balance. Because like you, you need to get Brown going downfield and in space. If you're giving him these curl routes, like I, I don't know, just it
1: doesn't it doesn't seem like it's right uh, to I mean, maximize. They, they sent that they he sent him do. deep a few times too, but but like you said, I mean it, it's to have like the bread and butter of your like using him like a possession receiver makes no sense like you need to be continually... yeah, don't give him
2: Willie Sneed routes like, no. give, give those to Willie Sneed uh, but I think they should take Boykin out and put DuVernay at the other receiver spot. I don't have any reason to think they will, but it's like, they, I mean, they might Boykin
1: if the, if the returns are, are continue to be as empty as they are with Boykin and, and DuVernay. I mean, it, it was a special teams play, of course, but like showing that electricity, getting that on the field opposite Marquise Brown, I think would be pretty appealing to an offensive coordinator, I would think.
2: Yeah, and you can't throw the – like you can just leave Boykin and Island coverage because they can't throw the ball to him quickly. So th- you don't have to worry about him just like juking the guy off of a screen and going the dis- – speed doesn't threaten you practically in that regard. And then if he's going deep, he doesn't really seem to have like the positioning instincts and like the – just the high-pointing instinct, the uh, – The just kind of innate ability to set up a defender and and position yourself relative to them and time it all and know how to execute it all, you know, in in the way that great athletes can but can't explain, you know, it's like he he has the speed and stuff, but he can't really apply it, it seems. Whereas DuVernay, it's like, you know, maybe he's not like a perfect prospect or anything, but he doesn't drop that touchdown pass in week one. He doesn't by any, any account seem to drop any kind of pass ever. And you can throw screens to him after which he breaks tackles. We've seen him do. So uh, I I don't know what Boykin even theoretically does in this offense and in the way they structure the offense. It's like they need him to do something right now. And they just they don't have any guy to kick it out to to make this wide open three point shot, you know, and they they need someone to step up there. Uh, But I guess against a defense like this, I guess it probably won't matter that much. And as much as the Washington pass rush would be frightening. It's not as frightening if Matt Ioannidis is out for the year, which he is. Chase Young's out.
1: Chase Young's out. So,
2: yeah, it's like with Matt Ioannidis and with Chase Young, I think this is basically the best six-man pass rush I've ever seen. But uh, if you take those two away, it's merely good, and the rest of the the Washington defense doesn't really seem to be good.
1: Nope. So uh, I think that this should be a bounce back situation, but I, I am concerned about this Ravens offense long term. Uh, I think that the the spread says a little bit more about where the football team's is at that, than where the Ravens are right now. I'm, I'm, my faith is shaking, Mario. I'm hurting. I'm hurting.
2: Yeah, me too. I mean, I, th- I think they have a pretty clear issue that has a pretty clear solution, but I don't know if they're kind of willing to uh, investigate you know the the main maybe like painful conclusions they'd have to reach to to actually address it head on
1: i just you can't you can't win if if uh you have to be playing with the lead the entire time and and any time that you fall behind you crumple and and wilt it just it doesn't work uh in the the start they
2: they need a more dynamic offense in the sense that like they they need to be able to uh play within altered scripts
1: yeah because you know the the stark contrast of that versus the chiefs winning the super bowl last year having fallen behind by double digit points in each oh, of yeah. those games and then winning each of those games by by double digit points it shows you the gulf between the chiefs and and everyone else um and again just like last part i know we're, we're days past the game but I, I think that you need to play perfect to beat the chiefs and if the chiefs play perfect then you're perfect doesn't matter probably Um, but yeah, it's like when they fall
2: behind the defense stops respecting that Lamar run threat. And then it's like, yeah, he's, it's not easy to throw the ball if they don't respect that threat. In that case, you just, you're just kind of back to a, it's like you're calling an option pass play against a defense that's just playing, you know, prevent. It's like they're, they're not biting on the op fake it doesn't matter you're just kind of like wasting a route basically
1: yep so not not great there um and then i guess on the other side of the uh any comments on the ravens backfield for fantasy purposes and then a- anything to look out for uh football team wise fantasy wise
2: well the ravens linebackers are struggling so antonio gibson i guess could do something but Dwayne haskins and the offensive line are so dysfunctional that i don't really know that it matters like Calais campbell and Derek wolf are the kind of guys who can make a really bad offensive line look really bad like they're, they're the kind of guys you need to be able to hold the anchor at the point of attack for at least a second or else they just kind of clobber everybody and everybody falls over like bowling pins and I'm
1: kind of worried that's going to happen and then I mean it, so you have that issue and then you have Dwayne Haskins's pocket awareness or lack thereof and he's it, totally
2: shook d- yeah he can't it, really play right
1: now it's I mean, I'm someone who was pretty high on Dwayne Haskins coming in, you know, as a, as a draft prospect, but I, I might be out at this point. It it looks, it looks really I like just, almost irredeemable. And I know that there's some, you know, again, the offensive line's not doing him any favors, but man, whew.
2: well, the whole offense is kind of crap. So I, I don't like, don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not good looking what's been going on, but also, um, I, I, I can't really put a final verdict on a quarterback when I also feel like there's a pretty good chance that's the worst offensive line I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's just one of those, it's like, if, if I think it's the worst offensive line I've ever seen, then can I really blame anybody who plays behind it? And th- in my case, I can only say to an extent with Haskins for the time being
1: okay all right fair enough all right let's move on over we got the giants going out west to face the rams the rams uh got got so after the first two weeks i was like okay maybe i was totally wrong about them and then the first what what was it like half or three quarters of of their game against buffalo last week up maybe i wasn't wrong and then they they roared back uh maybe you know part of that had to do with buffalo taking their foot off the gas or whatever but uh I think no matter what, it's impressive for them to have come back and fought back the way that they did on the road against Buffalo. Um, so I, I think the Rams are actually a lo- still a lot better than, than I anticipated coming into this year. The Giants a lot worse. Uh, and I know that there have been some injuries involved as well, but they, they really are one of the worst teams, if not the worst. Uh, if, if not for the Jets, they're probably the worst team in, in football, I would say. So Rams 12 and a half point favorites in this one. Uh, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, it looks great for everybody on the Rams. I don't really
1: have anything to yeah. add. Um, I guess if you would give us a bit of a, a, a status check on Darrell Henderson and, and how legit it is, and, and how legit he's looked uh, over these last couple of weeks, because I think that I've gone from being very, very worried that it was ever going to happen to like, oh man, this is how did I ever lose the faith? This is this is the guy that we saw at Memphis.
2: Yeah, I was pretty high on him as a prospect, so I was definitely disappointed in last year's results. Yeah. I, I lost some of the faith because I, I thought he was going to be like really good, not not a workhorse or anything, but I I thought he could have done something like Aaron Jones kind of stuff, something like that. And he, you know, he averaged 8.9 yards per carry over two seasons, not not like one part of a, like he, 25 games or something like that. He averaged 8.9 yards per carry. Like who can do that? except a, you know, at least a pretty good running back. And, uh, he's at this point, I think we can take it for granted. Like, yes, he is at least pretty good. And now we're kind of like waiting to see if he's anything more than that, because he might not be more than that. Like a a, a running back who is merely pretty good could have done, couldn't have one game like he had last week. But if he can start peeling off a series of games and, you know, a matchup like this one, you got to have pretty high expectations for him. It's like, this is a crap defense, a hopeless team. If you can't produce against this one at home, we probably have to start readjusting expectations again. But I, I feel like everything is teed up for him. And I look at his
1: prospect profile and I say, you know, full faith for now, I guess. Let's go. All right. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I, th- I, I think it, where I can fit him in, I am going to put him in my lineups. Um, yeah, th- th- this just sets up really well for him. And it, um, Do you think that like... With this being such a heavy spread, do you think that uh the the passing game might have like a lower ceiling for for d f s purposes like that they, they could be in and you know run the clock out mode pretty quickly? They
2: might be, but I think that would be a case like, like especially thirteen like the spread opened at nine and is up to thirteen and if we're talking a two touchdown victory, I think that's because uh as long as there isn't like a defensive touchdown or two involved, then it's one of those cases where the passing game was very productive mm, and mm-hmm. a lot to do with why the, the point total is as high as it is. OK. All right. That definitely checks out. Cup and Woods look great. Yep. Uh, Jefferson and all those guys, Higby, they all look, it's, it's just going to be too easy.
1: Yep. Yeah. The Giants are, are going to get dunked on pretty hard in that one. Um, let's get on over to the Patriots against the Chiefs. Probably the best matchup on paper of the week. Chiefs still seven point favorites in, in that one over under checking in at 53. Patriots coming off that that strong win uh, against the Raiders at home, the bounce back. They've looked really good so far. The the Burkhead game happened. I don't anticipate it happening again. What do you make of this game?
2: Well, I guess the Burkhead thing is just subject to the status of James White because it's like that that one game that Burkhead had. Was kind of like the back taxes being paid on the James White role that just hadn't been there the previous week, and it's like okay, now, now you're getting like paid with interest, and it's Burkhead playing the White role. So uh, I think you know, f- considering we expected there to be always like an, a PPR running back two or at least high flex in in that James White role, I think I think that kind of explains Burkhead's functions last week, and, and I think it's just as simple as if White's out, then Burkhead's probably doing. The same role, but it's the touchdowns that don't usually come with that role. Three of them on uh, whatever, like 12 touches or whatever. Uh, That's that's normally not going to happen. And especially not in a game where they're heavy underdogs like this. So I I don't I'm not chasing Burkhead. I'm not not chasing any part of the Patriots backfield here. And I'm kind of concerned for the Patriots offense, I guess, because I I think they kind of I feel like the Chiefs defense is largely built to stop offenses like the Ravens and and, uh, the Patriots here. It's like they kind of put those boundary corners that are there to neutralize that deep threat that's normally so dangerous off of the the run fake. And they, they get this this length and speed with guys like Travarius Ward to to just cover the sideline and take away the sideline from you, force you into the middle of the field uh, where they have Tyron Matthew. And it's like they, they just kind of um, they they block your two main runways as an offense and kind of make the field shrink on you. And at that point, Cam Newton has to just kind of get it to Edelman, and Edelman needs to get away from from Matthew somehow, but which is really difficult to do. Or Newton has to run, or the, the Patriots have to be in a position where their run game can just take usage and play well with it, which is always easier said than done against the Chiefs and the way Mahomes tends to, to move the ball. So, I I feel like this is a game that uh, could be kind of difficult for for the for the Patriots, but if they have a good game. Kind of keeping up with the, the Chiefs' offense, then I guess it's because Enkil Harry or maybe Demir Bird did something, because uh, because uh, yeah, it's like Tyron Matthews' problem for the slot receiver, and, and if they don't have Edelman, that's normally kind of like a, a death sentence for this offense.
1: Right, exactly. So the the this Chiefs' defense, that you know, obviously the offense gets all the accolades and most of the headlines and everything with that defense is really legit top to bottom and and it presents a lot of problems for an offense like you said like the Patriots Um, as far as the the Chiefs offensive personnel goes green light for everybody I assume
2: I think so I uh I I feel like the Patriots are pretty stubborn about their press man coverage and it's like that that works a lot of the time but I don't know if it works against a team like the Chiefs and a quarterback who can Uh, Extend plays and improvise Plays and routes and throwing Angles the way Mahomes can because It's 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 impossible to do man Coverage forever you know it's like you need the pass Rush to get there you need you need the Quarterback to be forced to throw the ball and Mahomes Has a way of just pulling the rug On you when you think the terms Are set and and just kind of changing the whole Play and and uh, all It takes is like you turn around to look to see Where Mahomes is and the receiver has Changed directions on you and it's a touchdown
1: Yeah yeah, keenly aware of, of that. Um, <laughs> gosh, Monday Monday was just a, so soul cleaving. Um, anyway, all right, let's move on over to the Bills going up against the Raiders. We got the Raiders uh, three, or I'm sorry, uh, three point underdogs at home against the Bills. The Bills have been playing extremely well. Um, I think you could probably argue that they might be the second best team in the AFC right now, um, behind the Chiefs. Probably. Yeah. So I mean, that this is a it, the Raiders are at least pretty good. They're they're not like the they're not a team that is going to make a deep run into the playoffs, but they could make the postseason as a, as a wild card team. I think that they're they're solid enough. Um, but I think the Bills are are definitely a cut above them. So I think that they they can win this one on the road here, even after like that emotional win uh, last week at, at home. Where, where are you at with this game?
2: Yeah, I guess I pretty much agree with everything you said. I, I think. John Gruden's general approach is to kind of play an eight and eight game and then go zero tempo to try to reduce to try to increase the amount of luck that determines the game to, to try to reduce it to the question of which way it bounces on one particular play, you know, and just hope that it's your side. And then, uh, you know, by being the lesser team, that's a good setup for you because it's 50 50 instead of 40 60 or whatever you're normally looking at. And I think that's what they'll do here trying to which kind of makes sense in so as giving Josh Jacobs a lot of usage because I don't want Derek Carr throwing the ball against that defense it's like yeah I, normally I might say like hey stop running it so much but in this one it's like yeah give Josh Jacobs 35 carries what what, what better things do you have to do like I know there's going to be Darren Waller and uh you know the receivers are beat up but even if they were healthy it's like other than Darren Waller I don't think you really have anything in this this passing game that you should feel the need to get going? Like it's it's it would be nice if you can get Renfro or those outside receivers going, but it's with Derek Carr, it's not sustainable. You, there's no need to make your foundation have much to do with these things. Uh, so aside from Waller, it's like they they just don't really have anything to work with in my opinion I, like Renfro should be busy in this game if those outside receivers are out um, I just don't think it's good his activity is the kind that indicates that your team is like gaining a competitive advantage it's more like Hunter Renfro gets the ball when time is passing meaninglessly you know <laughs> uh, so I think that uh, if they give Jacobs the ball a lot he could do pretty well because it's probably easier to run on the bills than it is to throw on them and it kind of neutralizes the. It kind of keeps Poyer and the saf- the safeties Poyer and Hyde out of the game, and keeps Trevarius White from from you know permeating the, the outcome of the game, which is good. And it makes the clock shorter, and it puts more pressure. Josh Allen for the plays that he gets like part of part of what's been so good about his setup the first few weeks is that they run so many plays and it's like if you, if you have to defend Josh Allen throwing the ball 40 times as a defense like yeah, you're gonna get gassed yeah but if you if you only give him 27 pass attempts and if you know uh, whatever six of them seven of them are on third down. Like, that's a very different pressure question for Allen, even if the matchup is supposed to be easier. So I think it's pretty risky for, for the Bills, if only because, like I said, Gruden loves to reduce the game to a coin flip.
1: That's a, that is a really good point good point and a really interesting angle when it comes to just the Raiders in general and then how it might, might slow the Bills' wagons down just a little bit this week. Um, when it comes to the run game... How do they set up against uh, the Raiders here? And, and, you know, if Zach Moss is back in the fold, what do you do about Devin Singletary, who, you know, ran for 71 yards on 13 carries last week and also had 50 yards receiving?
2: Well, that's tough because I feel like the Bills running game is due for some touchdown, Like the running backs are due for some touchdowns. Part of Valen also having the fantasy point total that he has in the first three weeks is because he's just taking all the crops of the running backs, you know, it's like all the, all the points that would go to the running back position have gone to Allen and that can continue. But if, if sickle, Terry or Moss start producing, then it almost necessarily comes at the expense of Allen's weeks, one through three production. Uh, There's only just so much to go around. Uh, But I don't know if, if I think that this is a risky game for the, for the bills. And if, if the Raiders are chopping their play count from, you know, 74 to 58, then that makes it a narrow margin for those touchdowns to take possibility, you know? So I'm not really getting my hopes up for the bills running backs, but especially if Moss is out, then you'd like Singletary just for his role, you know, in in addition to his talent in the matchup. Um, But I I feel like it's maybe not the ideal, like, like it won't be a good setup for the running backs unless Carr has a bad game where he's, he's kind of getting, he's, he's both exposed, like needing to throw the ball and failing with the attempts that he does throw.
1: Okay. All right. Interesting. And then, uh, just one more detail on, on this Raiders defense, uh, to this point, allowing 5.6 yards per, per carry. And yeah. they've given up six rushing touchdowns, uh, so far. So matchup is real nice for the run game. Yeah. There you go. And you know, I, I want Moss in there, but if he's not, then I, I'm going to have to think about Singletary, um, for, for DFS, um, pretty considerably yeah. i don't have any season long but uh, that's the beauty of dfs you can get those guys that you missed out on and this matchup would be really good um let's get on over we got a couple night games to knock out before we head out for this episode we got the eagles going up against the 49ers niners seven point favorites eagles uh, <laughs> <laughs> bad yeah i Um, mean they've gotten no favors done to them as far as the injuries go like i I will
2: the 49ers and shanahan has them looking pretty good you Mm -hmm. know so it's like i i think doug Peterson's a fine enough coach and whatever but it seems like these teams have been dealt similar cards or sorry similar similar hands and it's like shanahan's winning peterson is not yeah the niners have bluffed
1: their way out of it
2: yeah, I don't know why it would change here. I guess the other, you know, it could just change for some matchup reason that I can't see or some variance reason that doesn't mean anything. But based on the general constitutions of these teams, I, I feel like that seven-point spread for the 49ers, while aggressive, might be somewhat earned. Uh, I think so, I too. How, I don't know how Wentz... I, I just I don't know what they do like they, I guess Sanders could could just kind of like save the day for them but it, that, I guess that's
1: what I think it would need to be and it seems like a pretty long shot uh, yeah I, I I don't really feel like that feel strongly that that's going to be um how it unfolds um what do you what do you think of this Eagles passing game now that not only Jalen Rager is out but but also Dallas Goddard
2: Uh, it's bad.
1: I mean, it it was already, yeah, it was already tough with... Deshaun's
2: missing practice time, I think. Man. So, and Arcega Arcega Whiteside and Hightower are both... Uh, our, 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 uh, Hightower isn't practicing today I don't know what I think a white side status is for today uh, Basically they're down to Greg Ward at receiver and So, so yeah, Time is a flat circle
1: man we're back We're
2: back to Greg Ward We are Ward. back. <laughs> we are b- Boston Scott is about to score Three touchdowns oh, um, No it's like that's yeah we're seeing how it could Get worse it's like last year They had Boston Scott scoring three touchdowns Against the Giants at least but now it's like uh, This year's version of it Is just Carson Wentz gets hit a bunch of times and we, we all leave very sad or he misses some wide open receivers a few times, obviously. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the Eagles have going for them other than their pass rush, I guess like their pass rush is pretty good. Uh, but I don't think, I don't think the 49ers really need to expose themselves to that pass rush very much. And, uh, the, I, I, this is insane, but it's like, I, I kind of just trust Nick Mullins to protect the ball better than Carson Wentz, I guess.
1: I do too, Uh, and and Kittle looks like he could be back. Uh, Mostert, I'm not as confident in necessarily. They could probably, um, based on the way that their run game worked last week, they could probably, you know, Save Mostert for for next week, um for for a tougher matchup and and go from there. We'll we'll have to see what what they go with there. It looks like Brandon Ayuk is starting to become a thing as well. So yeah, that this sets up really really nicely for the Niners and very very poorly on the other side for for the Eagles there. Um, and then rounding things out, we got the Falcons going up against the Packers. Falcons, uh they're just kind of like stuck in this loop where they they just they put up points and then they're they're like chasing the dragon of their 28 to 3 collapse in the Super Bowl and they just continue to find new new and uh dangerous ways of trying to to chase yeah. that high continually and it's been pretty funny and it's it's been great for fantasy purposes i mean again we we drew the comparison a little bit in the preseason to the Falcons being this year's Bucks, as far as like the belligerent no real good football being played but great for fantasy uh, that type of stuff. I think that is going to continue here against the Packers I think there's going to be a lot of points scored in this one but the, the Packers really do like look, look like they're legit uh, one of the best teams in the NFC. I, I did not feel that way last year when they were 13-3 and three, but the way that Rodgers is playing uh, the way that yeah. those, those pass catchers have developed. I mean Alan Lazard looks like a legit player that um, I, I think is basically a fringe wide receiver to uh the rest of the season man i just the packers look great i I don't know what else to say and it's not just because i drink all the water up here
2: like I i think it's all rogers and i can't figure out what the hell happened like i i don't remember him looking particularly good for like three years and these first th- three games here, he's he's just looked lights out. And it's so good for the, the
1: narrative guys. Just like they knew that if they drafted Jordan Love and didn't give him any receivers, that it would piss him off just oh, enough.
2: Dude, if that, if that <laughs> is the actual reason I'm just so pissed off, because it, it's like I don't have a great counter to that. No. I don't know what like so oh do you think he got better because they helped him i was like no they didn't okay so what changed (laughs) i guess jordan love just motivated him and uh stupid you know football talk you know Mm -hmm. light a fire under him etc i guess that's the explanation um but i i can't believe that but on the other hand i don't have a better explanation so you know, here we whatever. are. <laughs> uh, they're right. The Jordan Love pick was actually genius for that reason. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. But he looks great if he doesn't fall off. And the thing is, it, I would have expected him to kind of fall off if it weren't for the last game. Uh, not having Devonte Adams and, and doing the things that he's done. It's like that's different. Like it, 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 it's him having receivers that basically aren't very good. And I know Lazard's good, but it's like MVS is just a decoy. Uh, if they actually need to throw him the ball and need him to make a catch, it is a risky proposition. And and nobody else does anything except Aaron Jones. But yeah, Rodgers, just he he still looked great without Devontae Adams, and I really don't think that would have been the case in recent years. And if it is the case again, and <clears throat> since we're playing since we're talking about the Falcons and we're playing in Lambo, I'll just assume it'll remain the case in this game, if only because the Falcons are just such a joke then, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really see how they can keep up. But uh, Julio playing would help, obviously.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, I don't know what to make of that. But uh, even if they have Julio, um, I, I, I guess I should say, if Julio's playing, then I, I don't really like the seven-point spread. I would, the five that it opened at is maybe something that I would feel comfortable with. But um, if they don't have Julio, then it's like uh, Green Bay by, I not know, 11
1: or something. Okay. All right. That that makes sense. Do you think Calvin Ridley's like a top five ish receiver the rest of the way potentially
2: probably he seems to be something like a top 10 top 12 just in terms of talent and then his role is like you know top eight kind of thing so uh he's a guy who i think could be pretty matchup neutral or sorry matchup like resistant uh just because his his uh sort of his skill set and his trait set are the kind of traits that lend to just easy usage like it's it's the kind of stuff that there are a lot of types of plays and play designs where you can use someone who can do what ridley can do it's not like he's a receiver you can only use from you know yards 15 onward it's like you can use him at all levels so uh if a matchup which jair alexander is a difficult matchup uh but if it's if it's presenting some difficulties it's like ridley's the kind of guy who you can always have a plan b with because he can just do a lot of stuff well so uh, i think he could kind of maybe like have a modest efficiency sort of outcome against Jair Alexander but the volume is all but guaranteed to be so high
1: that it just doesn't really matter exactly Uh, so really like his his setup in this one and moving forward and then is there a third option that you can figure out from this Atlanta offense obviously we know uh, Julio went healthy and and then Ridley um, but Gage has been dinged up Uh, they got some you know good usage as pass catchers out of the backfield last week and maybe that factors in against the Packers team I mean Kamara is so different than 2020 Todd Gurley or Brian Hill of course I mean to to be clear but Packers definitely struggled to to, uh to account for the the pass catching threat from the backfield do you think the Falcons decide to like maybe press that a little bit I guess they could try I'm not really worried about it for
2: the Packers but I, I guess they could try uh I think that the Part of why everybody but Ridley might be in, uh, sorry, everybody but Ridley and Julio. Uh, if Julio's out there, I don't really think the Packers can cover him at all. It's like if they want to try to put Kevin King on him, go ahead. That just because he's big and fast doesn't mean he's he's going to be any good against Julio. But even Jair, if Jair's on Julio, it's like I love Jair, but six three two twenty Julio, who's as fast as even Alexander at like thirty pounds lighter. It's like being perfect in coverage might not be enough in that case. Uh, but if Julio's out and and Jair Alexander's falling around Ridley, and then we got even if Russell Gage is is back from his concussion, he's going against Chandon Sullivan, who seems pretty good. He seems like w- probably one of the better slot corners in the league, actually. So I I don't think Gage is very good. I think he loses that matchup. I think it basically makes another dead end, another funnel back toward Calvin Ridley. Um, maybe to Hayden Hurst, I, I can't really think of what his matchup specifically looks like, but there's going to be a funnel toward him if Julio isn't out there. So, uh, if, if Julio's out, I think Hurst and Ridley both get volume, but I, I think there would just be too many plays where Ryan ends up like patting the ball and just, you know, taking a sack or throwing it away or whatever. I do like Olameda Zacchaeus, but I can't tell if they're like seriously, getting him going I like I know he was good last week but they seemed to they seemed hellbent on rigging like the slot receiver competition for Gage like I'm pretty sure Zacchaeus is better uh, so I don't think they're they're not like politically inclined to get Zacchaeus going the way that they are Gage and, and uh, Hayden Hurst but if I, I do like Zacchaeus and if they start giving him a chance I think he's just gonna keep
1: doing well yeah we're, we're Zacchaeus guys this is known um so hopefully hopefully that that gets rolling and, and he can start to move past Gage and I that, need to in see Zacchaeus
2: record. running against Kevin King that would be hilarious <laughs> Kevin King would just like just turn into a pile of like Jenga pieces, trying to turn and
1: run with him. Pillar of salt. Um, and then I, I guess looking at looking at um, these defenses one last time, one more detail to throw out there because it, it's a, it's a great unstoppable force versus immovable object, but the inverse of that because the Falcons are like the second worst team against tight ends, but the Packers' tight ends don't really exist to me. They they got. Big Bob, and they got Jay Sternberger, who did get involved last week for the first time in his NFL career. Maybe this is just like showdown slate type of discussion, but maybe, maybe go get some Big Bob for Sunday night or Monday night. Sorry, I should have figured this. Is Adams supposed to be back for this? Um, I think he, he's trending in the right direction as okay. far as I know. So w-
2: when Adams actually left the passing game, Tanyan stepped up a bit, like he did nothing in week one, but each of the past two games, Tanyan's been pretty good. And yeah, Sternberger did something last week, too. So I think Tanyan, like Tanyan can definitely run. I don't know how skilled he is or whatever, but he can definitely run and he's doing pretty well so far. So uh, if, if there's if there's a scenario where Adams isn't producing, I actually think Tanyan could be pretty
1: good. I like it. They asked me on the radio yesterday down in Orlando, like, who is is Robert Tanyan? I was like, oh, Big Bob? Ask somebody who went to Indiana State. That's right, brother. Yeah, so I, I got to spread the gospel of, of Big Bob a little bit on, on a Wednesday afternoon. I was happy about that. Um, but anyway, that is going to wrap things up for this edition of the roto NFL podcast. from Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. And be sure to tune in for the Friday show, All DFS, with Scott Genstead and Andrew Laird. It's going to be great. Stay tuned for that one. Thanks for listening.